Welcome to Church Unboxed, where we tackle the topics that most Christians are sometimes too scared to talk about. Each week, together with guests, I'll be uncovering issues that have been swept under the rug and listening to people who not only have inspiring stories, but in many cases are the voice of the voiceless. I'm your host, Sarah Tabo, worship leader, singer, and songwriter. Welcome this week's guest, Ange Kutan. Ange is a lawyer and a recovered alcoholic who works with the Ministry of Women through her weekly Bible study, which helps other recovered alcoholics seeking to progress the kingdom of God. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ange. Thank you for having me, Sarah. Yeah, I'm super excited about today's topic. But before we go into the meat of the conversation, I have one interesting question for you. Um, If you had a flashback to your childhood and you could remember the kids stories or fairy tales that you heard growing up which one would you say is your favorite I think it would probably have to be something like yeah James and the giant peach I think oh for me. <laughs> the giant peach yeah I'll never forget it oh really why is that why that particular probably story? got to do with something something to do with the fact that I'm a bit of a foodie but apart <laughs> from that <laughs> <laughs> no idea just yeah. specifically I, I think it was the, one of the first stories that were read and my imagination went a bit wild with it because it was mm. read in the children's corner so you know my mind became alive oh that's brilliant and you literally yeah. went straight to that story that really happens when I ask this question to most people yeah. trying to remember a thousand stories and pick what one's their favorite but that's really cool that's yeah. excellent so um in your bio it talks about you being a recovered alcoholic and obviously you're a Christian yeah. as well so that kind of paints the story of you having journeyed from potentially a very dark past if you're okay to tell us about your story and how you found yourself in a place of maybe substance abuse or even alcohol addiction that would be really interesting to hear yeah, sure sir no problem and you know my heart's desire really is that uh, as many people that listen uh, just need to know that I'm very happy being uh, a broken Christian one who's not perfect one mm-hmm. whom God is working in um, and my background is is quite amazing because I used to make jokes about Jesus at school and um, the man with the beard in the sky. And I'd say, <laughs> look at their book. It changes all the time because I was a Hindu oh. and uh, Hindu Punjabi. And so I had a mother who prayed three times a day. She was up at five o'clock in the morning and I'd watch her and I'd learned all of the Hindu scriptures with her. I'd sit with her. I was very inquisitive from a very young age mm. and I'd sit with her and do the prayers and you know, when, when they would talk about Christianity at school, when we had to do religious studies, I just turned around and said, look at them. They're always changing their English and always changing it like the Bible. Look how many different times they've rewritten the Bible, not knowing that there was obviously the New Living Translation and the King James Version, <laughs> you know, every everything else to make it more sort of human user friendly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, um, it was better, I suppose, than reading endless scriptures, which I didn't understand, but the hum of it or the memory tied to my mother was the reason it was that kind of, I wanted to get her approval, you know, so mm. I learned everything. Um, and I followed the leader. And uh, I think the the thing about alcoholism is, uh, you know, we often say always, you know, focus, the alcohol is just a symptom, focus on the I self me ism. You know, that's the, mm. the problem is in the I self me. And uh, I think, you know, before you ever get to alcoholism or whichever device you use for that fact, 
um, I think it's important to understand that the thing that we're all really seeking in addiction is escape. You know, so mm. my first love was books. I would get through like 12, 12 books in 12 weeks, you know, mm. mental. And I, it was the ability to sort of escape from life um, and go into another world. And, you know, the home situation was, it was difficult. You know, I had, uh, we had a very strict cultural upbringing. I had um, quite a controlling dad. I had a mother who was very subservient, you know, and, uh, you know, we just thought that's, that's how it is. You know, if he comes in at 11 o'clock and he wants his chapati, he's going to get his chapati. You know, it mm. doesn't matter what time he gets in. And I'd often, you know, watch him talk down to my mother and I'd see my mother not answer back. I saw her cry and these sort of things. And there was a problem, you know, everybody was obedient in my house, but there was a rebel girl in me and she just wouldn't have any of it. So I'd often be telling my mother, this is what you ought to do with him. And this is what you tell him to go and get his chapati somewhere else. And <laughs> you you go to bed, mum, and, and don't worry about it. And, you know, I had a lot of beats growing up, but to be quite <laughs> honest, you know, should I sit here and say I deserve them? Um, probably, you know, I was very <laughs> naughty. Um were they all, did they leave scars and did they damage me in the long run? The answer is absolutely yes, you know. Um, and this is the problem. There's discipline and then there is, um, you know, these things that carry on into your adulthood. And what I didn't realize that what was happening to me in, in the house at that time was I wanted to go out and play football with my brothers, but I was meant mm -hmm. to stay at home and make, you know, Indian food and serve the people that came around, you know. And uh I, I didn't like the idea of being a waitress or being married at sort of like the age of 22 too much. And, uh, you know, when, when my dad hit me a few times, you know, I remember going to school with bruises on my leg, you know, and I'd lied to the teacher and sort of said to the, the teacher that I fell over, you know, I was late for school and I fell over mm. and it wasn't, you know, he'd hit me that morning with a hockey stick. Oh dear. You know, it was, it was very, very bad. And, you know, uh, I had fear. But at the same time, I wanted to beat the living daylights out of him. You know, mm -hmm. there, there was no relationship whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And it's important because, you know, for, for any child, you know, there's the three things that we need is affirmation, approval, and acceptance. You know, mm -hmm. they have to come from our parents mm -hmm. uh, as the first role models. Now, I had one absent parent, more or less emotionally, you know, spiritually, mm -hmm. he was there in the community and it was all about the community. Um, but at home, there wasn't a, a parent figure. All we knew of him was fear. And, you know, the reason why I'm telling you this is because something happens to us. You know, we don't, I didn't, I don't know about anybody else, but I, I mm. didn't navigate the emotional stages of life too well, you know, mm -hmm. and conditioning happens. You know, when the conditioning happens, what happens is you start getting a self-image and you start getting a pre-automated script for men and for women. You know, mm. and I, I started having that change in, in my thinking. But the problem is this. If I had, you know, defective views about parents, um, you know, what a parent, should, a mom should be, what a dad should be, then obviously my relationships with men and women are going to be skewered after that, mm. you know, and I, and I understand that now. Um, so this escape together with that, I remember lying to him because I was so scared of him. And so I'd formed a habit of lying, you know, and then I'd gone to school and boasted about how brilliant I was. And, you know, then I'd uh, gone through these stages of life and I, and it was, it was control. It was a lot mm. of control. And the problem is this, when you've got a, a beautiful, bright lit 
wonderful spirit like mine. And I've come to, you know, kind of accept that because I'm a child of Christ now. So yeah. I can say that boasting in him. Um, and you try and contain that, it's going to come out the wrong way. And unfortunately, that's what happened. And, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a late bloomer. I, I didn't pick up a drink until I was 18 and at university. Um, and again, it was pressure. It was, you know, I was with, I was the only Indian kid in the town. Um, I was up in Staffordshire. <laughs> I was the only Indian kid in the town. And uh, I just remember, you know, the girls in my house, I felt different. I felt really out of sorts. Mm. I was, you know, you can, I don't know if you can imagine going from a wholly Indian town, you know, mm. to then going to a completely opposite, you know, end of the world sort of area. Mm. And it was pressure. It was like, if you don't drink every night, you know, you're not part of the crowd. And so then the student mm. union started. And unfortunately, you know, got my hand on some drugs and I thought, well, this is good. And, you know, then carried on drinking. Then you take the drug and the drug allows you to take more drink. And then you take a drink and the drink allows you to take more drugs. It was just a vicious cycle. Oh dear. And I didn't think anything of it at the time. I thought I was having a great time. Hey, I fit in with everybody. I'm at university, got no parents to, you know, kind of tell me off. Um, and unfortunately, you know, they, they say it, it's true. You know, it just led to horrors. It, it got pretty horrific pretty quickly. Um, lying was so good that I um, I managed, I, I think I, I can't, I think I, uh, last year, I think it was, I failed in equity and I went back and I knew why it was. I had been drinking. So, you know, I'd gone in with shakes and the full works. And then I went to the dean's office and I said to her, um, you know, hey, if you don't let me do my exam again, um, like my parents are going to kill me. And yeah. they've told me two things. Number one, don't, you know, go out with certain people. And number two, don't come home pregnant. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and my dad had actually said, like, you know, if you don't pass your degree outside of all of that stuff, I'm going to kill you. Oh, and dear. I thought he's a man of his word. So I better, <laughs> <laughs> so I better pass. Oh, dear. Um, and she let me do it. She basically let me do the exam again. I passed by the skin of my teeth, came wow. home. And, uh, you know, all I can say to you is, uh, I got home and the journey started and I think it took about seven years. I got home and, you know, you go away as an 18 year old, you come home as a 24, 25 year old and mm -hmm. you think, you know, everything, you know? Mm -hmm. So here I was belitting, belittling my parents, telling them, you just know, Mr. Singh at the top of the shop, you've been going there for 40 years. All you do is get your milk and your bread and that's it. You don't haven't seen anything. I've seen people from Scotland. I've seen people <laughs> from Ireland. I've seen like it was like the whole world, you know. Um, and oh they just they they couldn't get their heads really around like you know how she changed so much. Like she was rebellious when she went, but this is like off the rails. Um, mm. And unfortunately, you know, the friction started. And I know my go-to was I'll just go out for drinks with friends, and that way I don't have to come home and listen to their rubbish. Mm. And you know. Uh, it took about seven years, Sarah, and wow. uh, seven years. I went to work in the morning with a bottle of whiskey in my bag mm -mm. because I had the shakes in the morning. I, mm -mm. I basically decided this is how clever my thinking was. I thought to myself, I know what I'll do. This is working in a legal environment. Hmm. Um, I'll have vodka in the morning because that takes the shakes off. I'll have a beer at lunchtime because um, everybody has a beer at lunchtime. And, you know, I'll have a whiskey at the end of the day because I've worked really hard and this place couldn't stand without me anyway. And these mm. are the kind of grandiose, really mm. quite destructive thoughts I had. And really all I had in that whole time, two things were running my life, pride and fear.
That's mm, it. Just pride, pride and, fear. and fear. And it just gets exhausting. It, you know, it got exhausting, got to the point where I'm now on trains and I want to go one stop and I'm ending up in the middle of a bush. Don't know where I have. I stopped at the last stop, maybe in Oxford. I've got off. I don't know where I'm going. Still drunk. Uh, I pulled a taxi guy over and I never forget. Um, I pulled a taxi over and I said to the guy, I had no money to pay him and I knew I had no money to pay him. Mm. And, you know, I remember getting into the cab and then, I mean, I think I'd vomited. I oh, had it yeah. on my dress. You know, I was kind of like, oh, I looked dear. like a wreck, you know. And I said to him, oh, you're not going to do anything to me, are you? And I still remember the guy just literally stopped his cab and he picked me up like I was a piece of dirt from my shirt and he threw me out of his cab. And he said, have you seen the state of yourself? You're a disgrace. Um, so these, what happened was that's only one of the things, right? There were what happens with your self-esteem is when you're covering one shame after another, mm. you know, it builds up. I'd lost any idea about myself identity I'd lost any information about who I was anymore mm. I got to the point where I needed a drink to feel better about myself Mm-mm. and you know it got to the play the place it was sort of like I'm happy have a drink it you know I'm sad have a drink um you know I'm joyful have a drink oh it's somebody's party have a drink mm. and it got to the point where I couldn't go anywhere. If people said to me, do you want to go to the cinema? I'd say, should we go to the bar first? Mm. You know, and then we'll go to the cinema. And I still had to have a gla- glass of wine inside the cinema, mm. you know? And then it was, you know, sort of like drink, drink, drink. Guess what? I've got no reason to drink, just drink anyway. Mm. And so what happened was that point of control and addiction, you know, mm. it, it took about seven years, but it, it just, it blundered somewhere. And I got to the point where, I was I was really badly in the shakes and uh, I had to get up and have a drink. Nobody knew about, um, I had to go to bed with a drink um, because now I was beginning to show the physical symptoms of it, you know? Mm. And, and we think it's about physical symptoms. Yes, it is about physical symptoms. The problem I had was the mental torture that was going on, you know, in my head that told me I was a piece of crap, that told me everybody hated me, I was a problem. Uh, mm. I never get anything right. I'm unsuccessful. I'm not marriable. You know, look at you. Look who you are. And your brothers and sisters got on fine. They got, all got married. They got their 2.5 children. Look at you. You're, you're, you are a disgrace, you know? And so when this self-talk went on, I can tell you very short, my drinking got so bad that I had six months to live. Oh, my goodness. And I went to the hospital and the doctor called. I was 26. And oh the doctor was called in. Um, I got sacked from work um, oh, because I fell asleep in court and I swore <gasps> at the judge. Oh, my oh, goodness. Yes. And I think the judge had turned around and sort of said, you know, Miss, you know, Miss so-and-so, are you listening to me? And I turned around, I think I said F off in front of everybody in court. Oh, my this goodness. This is like I just lumped over. And so they sacked me. And I can tell you, I still said to the, to the judge in this very distorted belief, you've just, you know, like you've described me, he said, you are rude, you are aggressive, you are erratic. I never forget the words, you know, Hmm. you're rude, you're aggressive, you're erratic. And he said, you brought the whole system into disrepute. And I can tell you, I put my hand on my heart and I said, you are talking about somebody, but you're not talking about me. That's not me. You know, (laughs) this is how deluded I was, you know, and they said, that's very nice, but you'll never work for this system again. Get lost. 
So I did. Um, But that was the perfect excuse to drink for another two years, feeling sorry for myself, self-pity to the absolute max. We have a saying, it's pour me, pour me, pour me another drink, you know. (laughs) So I had that story going on for about two years. And, um, yes, I ended up in hospital. I had um, three suicide attempts. And I also had, because in my head, the only voice that was going that I now know is the enemy Mm. was what's the point of your life? Mm. There's no point to your life. Mm. So um, that was that. I came out of hospital. And do you know the thing I'm really grateful for? Mm. So grateful to my parents for. This is to anybody out there who doesn't understand it, like alcoholics work in a completely different way. Mm. My parents kicked me out. I blessed them with all my heart and all that is within me, quite frankly, Mm. because my mum had got depressed and she couldn't go into the community anymore because they'd seen me sort of waddling home, you know, all sorts of things, and she couldn't go out anymore. So my dad actually dumped me in front of an AA meeting, and that's where my journey began. Right, right. Now, of all the people that God could have introduced me to, my come-to-be sponsor was a Christian man Mm. in AA. And, uh, you know, I met this man uh, I, and, you know, I had relapses because there's no point going to meetings unless you are working to change your thinking because you know, the problem is your thinking. It's not the, actually the drinking, it's the thinking. It's mm. the thinking that leads to the drinking, you know. Um, and I, I started going to AA meetings and uh, I had been given my six months. I thought, what's the point? But. I went to this this AA meeting, and mm. I'll never forget it. There were seventy year old Irish men and women who mm. just basically took me under their wing, and I uh, people in that meeting, can you believe it? Gave me clothes. Wow. At this point, I'm homeless. Wow. So here I was with three thousand pounds in my back pocket, you know, buying the world and its mother, uh, you know, drinks like there's no tomorrow, mm. and I found myself on the street asking somebody for one pound for cider. Oh dear. And these men and women who, as far as I'm concerned, were nothing short of angels of the Lord that he had sent at that time. Mm. They took me under their wing. They housed me and, um, you know, basically in each other's houses, like I was their kid Mm. and just looked after me. And Mm. I started feeling better. And uh, I remember, so this, you know, terminal illness they'd given, you know, alongside the hep C and the everything else. Hmm. And I, I remember going to, we have a, a step called step three, you know, in, in the AA meetings on the mm-hmm. program. And I remember going to the hospital and I sat on the steps and this Jesus who I did not even know. It's a, in AA, they refer to it as uh, your higher power, you okay. know? Okay. And I said to my sponsor when I first came, I don't believe in no God. I was an atheist when I came in. I said, I've done all the Hindu crap. I'm not doing it. Um, I don't believe in God. And he said, well, it's a higher power. I said, I don't want a higher power. I I simply don't believe in him. And he Mm. said, all right. He said, if you haven't got a higher power and you can hire my higher power. I love that. that? (laughs) And I said, okay, cool. And I said, what do I do with this higher power of yours? And he said, just basically kneel down every day and just say, dear Kevin's higher power, can you please keep me sober today? And I don't know when the shift happened, but it did. And then I went on the third step and I went to the hospital and I can tell you what happened. Mm. The third step is about giving our life over to the care of God. Mm. Um, I went into the hospital, the registrar came in and uh, another person came in. They both did scans 
and basically just turned around and said, like, we haven't seen anything like this, but we can't find any trace of your illness. Wow. Like, we just can't. And I had had a fight with this Jesus that I didn't even know outside mm. saying, if you've got me well, why have you still got me coming to hospital? <laughs> and, you know, like, and so I was having my right old little rant with him. So then I phoned my sponsor and I, I you know, a sponsor is somebody who's an ex-alcoholic who's done the 12-step program and mm. can, is armed with the facts about themselves and can help you get well, you yeah. know, if you do what they want. I want it. It's like a mentor, you know, yeah, if, if yeah. I see... I need, you know, help in a certain area. I will go to a mentor who knows what they're doing in that area. So mm -hmm. that, that's effectively a sponsor. And I remember calling Kevin and saying to him, Kevin, you're never going to believe what's happened. And he said to me, what's the matter? He said, has God cured you? Mm -hmm. And I swore and I said, how on earth do you know that? <laughs> and he said to me, didn't I say to you in the very first scripture he gave me was, wow. he said, didn't I say to you, Ange, with man, nothing is possible. With God, all things are possible. Absolutely. He said, I've been praying for you, love. And uh, I, I remember, like, my faith hasn't changed since. I still didn't know mm. Jesus, but I can tell you what happened with Jesus. I'm still not convinced. And, uh, I mean, come on, I was, like, hardcore Hindu. Like, to yeah. the I would, I would tell you scriptures, the full works, and I would, you know, blaze you down to the ground if you tried to tell me about anything else. Yeah. <laughs> I was that staunch, you know. I'm a Hindu, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I was feeling very, very grateful inside me. Mm. And, you know, the Lord visited me in, in a vision. And it was, right. it, was, it was bright. It was very illuminous. It was uh, bright. All the colors on this planet, okay, they just can't. They're, they're not even an inch close. That, wow. There's no bright white. This isn't Dulux bright. I'm talking like white, white, <laughs> heavenly. you know, heavenly white. And yeah. I, I could only make out the crown, but I couldn't mm. make it. And it was a white robe and it was just light. And I remember just an arm coming up and I asked the question. I said, who are you? And my mouth didn't speak, but my heart mm. spoke. And, it, and my heart said, my name is Jesus. Wow. You know, and we talk about the kingdom of God being inside us. Well, my mouth didn't move. And I remember that. And I remember just being on the floor, you know, with my hands clasped. And then, you know, this arm came out and poured seeds over my head. And they went down both sides. Mm. And I, I kind of like woke up quite full of joy and then I called my sponsor again because he's the go-to man right mm -hmm, and I was, mm -hmm. I was like Kev like this is what happened last night and he nearly got the hump with me he said I've been walking with the Lord for 30 years he said that's never, never happened to me yeah <laughs> he was like you know I'm not even baptized or in Christ yet I've just oh, had this encounter joy. so he just looked around and he went congratulations he said you just had an encounter with the Lord I said Lord what's lord oh, and he wow. just he was just like you know and go to a church get a bible and you know ask them for the bible and i'm not gonna lie to you i was very rude i went to the nearest church i thought i'm not doing this dog bug crap still quite rebellious still quite wow. prideful so they i remember that poor lady i did go and make an amends afterwards but she she came out and knocked on the door of the church and i literally just turned around in in the sort of like not well way and i sort of said uh give me a bible and she <laughs> said uh, we do an alpha course on, on a Tuesday. Would you like to come to the alpha course? And Sarah, I turned around and said to her, you can stick your alpha course. Just give me the Bible. Oh, wow. And I literally <laughs> snatched it out of her hand. Not well, obviously. And, you know, I came home. Oh, I did. And, uh, you know, I, and what really, you know, as I bring this to a close, really what, yeah, yeah. what happened was um, I remember 
you know, bringing the Bible home. I hadn't looked at it for a couple of weeks. And I remember I was on benefits, you know, just managed to be staying sober every day, going to a meeting every day, speak to my sponsor every day, structure back in my life. Mm. And uh, I phoned my sponsor and I said to him, listen, Kev, I thought I was all right with money. I said, but basically I had 50 pound on benefits. I thought I went and bought a whole load of food. And I thought I was going to be all right for like a couple of weeks. And I said, but basically I've eaten all the food in three days because the problem (laughs) is drink down or your appetite comes back, you know? So, and he just turned around and sort of said, he said, that's all right. He said, ask the Lord to help you. I said, what's he going to do? Like magically wand something up on the table. Like it's not going to happen. So I I swore at him, put the phone down. And then I sat there in self pity, feeling sorry for myself. And he said, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. And I said, I don't know who the Holy Spirit is. He said, just ask him. <laughs> and I'm crying. I'm crying. Very, like, belligerent. I'm not picking up the Bible. Anyway, you know, my eye turned and I thought, well, what's the harm? Let me check it out. Mm. And basically what happened was I opened it. And the very first scripture that God gave me then was, do not worry about what you will eat, what you will oh, drink. Oh, wow. <laughs> because your heavenly father already knows what you need. Are that you more precious beautiful. to me than the birds? Right? So I freak out and put this Bible away. I think something's happening inside the house. And two hours later, a friend of mine from AA called and said, and you've gone and done something really stupid. I said, what? She said, my son was meant to be coming home from the care home. So he's not coming now. Anyway, I've got bags and bags of shopping. Can you please come around and take two home or take two or three home? She said, because the food's going to go to waste. And wow. you see, the God, the Lord is so beautiful that he, you know, there's a scripture that says, and my God shall never allow me to be put to shame. Mm. I, you know, he, she asked me to go around there. He didn't even allow me to feel shame in that moment that I didn't have any mo- food and I couldn't even tell her. Mm. She was literally was like, please, can you come around? She even said, I'll put £2.50 on your oyster, please. Oh, wow. You know, just, just come around and pick it up. And so, you know, when I saw, and there are many incidences um Sarah you know where God is what I love about God is he woos you he knows that you know I was so damaged and hurt Mm. and there was you know things like abuse in my home you know not all levels of abuse with me you know with Mm. various men and even women you know all sorts of things anyway things Mm. there's a lot and my Mm. story is only one story there are billions of people out there you know that have so much hurt, so much pain, uh, brokenness where they think there's no hope, you know. Mm. And so what they do is the device is just used, alcohol, drugs, whatever it is. And it's mm. sex and food for some people. For, for some, some people, yeah, it's, it's anger. different things. You yeah. know, it's whatever it is. It's just used to block out the consciousness of your reality, really. Or like not being that in that place. God can feel, yeah. That's it. Absolutely. And, and, and so, you know, I came to Christ very quickly because after I uh, – <laughs> My hand went up in church. Uh, I went, I remember a chap called Paul at church and I made friends with him in AA. And he said to me, we used to call him spiritual Paul in the AA meetings. He mm. always talked about God. And he said, do you, he said, so sis, do you want to come with me to church? I said, Paul, I don't really do them things. I said, like, mm. it's all right. I'm reading the Bible, but I don't really do that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And he said, look, just come. And I said, all right. Well, I got to church and basically it's like somebody had kicked me in the backside. Hmm. Um, I cried for about two hours. And when they asked, you know, is there anybody who wants to come to the altar? It's like the Holy Spirit had taken me by my hand and led Hmm. me there. Um, And that was the start of my life. And all I can 
tell you about Jesus is there is no other God but him. Mm. Um, you know, he's God all by himself. And, mm. uh, you know, I, I could sit here for hours just telling you what he's done. In fact, it makes me quite emotional to talk about what he's done because mm. he really is the way maker. Mm. He really, you know, he when he says I'm the light in your darkness, he's he's right. He mm. he absolutely mm. was because, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of things I haven't told you, but it's interesting, isn't it, that alcohol is called spirits. Yeah, and I was actually going to ask you that, you know, because it started as going out for drinks with friends, you know, in uni, which pretty much most people do anyway. They don't see any harm to it. Um, but then it turned out to be a stronghold in your life as you became an adult. And obviously, from what you've said at a point, literally devastated your entire prospects as a as a career woman and potentially your health and almost fatality when it came to your existence. So would you say that it's actually in addition to being a problem with the physical, you know, metabolism and with the mental um, well-being that it's a spiritual problem as well? For, for me, um, and people may have, I might get like a hundred people like, you know, phoning me afterwards saying, how do you know? But I can tell you, I know this is not a physical problem. It's not where it starts. For mm. me, alcoholism is, it's a spiritual problem. Mm. It's that looking outside of yourself, looking to fill the hole on the inside. We call it some in AA, we call it the hole in the soul. Mm. It's a spiritual problem because, uh, you know, when they talked about those in the upper room, you know, they came out falling drunk on the Holy Spirit, you know, hmm. and there's, there's two types of spirits hmm. in this world. There are spirits, which are demonic spirits, which hmm. often work through paralyzing a person. And the only way you can paralyze a person is put some alcohol through them until they can't do anything, can't talk, slur, you know, the full works. Hmm. Or you can be drunk on the Holy Spirit where there's no side effects, but you're just of massive use to other people. So hmm. I know which side <laughs> of the fence I'm on today. You know, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm, yes, mm -hmm. it's it's a hundred percent spiritual. I don't, as I've already said, it you know it starts in the mind, and the first thing that the you know the the Lord tells us about that is do not follow the patterns of the world, but go mm. through a process of renewing your mind. So mm -hmm. you know Jesus talks about that time and time again, time mm -hmm. and time again. You know, so we have the brain, and then we have the mind, and mm. you know, and we then we have like you know with the threefold in mind, body, and spirit. Yeah. You know. And so, you know, if a stronghold, just one thing gets into your, you know, mind about you're not good enough, that's it. Like it will chip and chip and chip and chip away until mm. you don't want to hear that voice anymore. Mm -hmm. So you start following the trends of the world so that you feel like you fit in, you have belonging and it's defective thinking before it's defective drinking, mm. you know? Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. And you've talked about the AA quite a lot. You went in as an atheist, as, as a Hindu, and you came out as a Christian. And from what I've uh, picked up from the conversation, you mentioned your mentor was a Christian and you've kind of also referenced a few other Christians within the AA. So for people listening who don't even know what the AA, the two words AA stand for and what the organization's foundations are and essentially the principles that they operate by. Maybe you just want to share a bit more about the AA. What do they do? What do they do? And what maybe, if any, Christian links do they have? Yeah. Now, the great thing about AA is um, it's not affiliated with anyone or anything. And mm. that's the beauty of it. It's anonymous for the reason that there are so many labels and stigmas in society. They often say only one alcoholic knows what another alcoholic has been through. So mm. if I said on wild, like national TV, uh, 
my gosh, this is the way I was planning to commit suicide, right? In AI, we'd be laughing our heads off because it'd be just so stupid, you know, we can see it with sanity returned. If you said that, like, nationally, people would be like, this girl still needs to go in the psychiatric ward, like, she still needs to stay in there, you know? So it's very kind of like the, the level of acceptance in AA. The first thing that happens when you go into AA is there's no, no judgment, Okay, there's unconditional love. And our mm. code is love and tolerance is our code. That's our code. And the you know, A stands and for Alcoholics Anonymous. For yeah, AA stands know. for Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's lots of people who sort of say, well, what about rehabs and what about this and what about that? And I would say that I did day centers, did the whole re- rehab thing. But the only thing that worked for me, you see, you go to rehab and they will tell you, um, why don't you do a drink diary? Okay. You go to a day center there. So why don't you do a drink diary? Mm. You want to get well from alcohol, especially, you know, it's, it's an allergic reaction of the body and it's an obsession of the mind. Those are the two things you have to heal from. Okay. You want to get well from that stuff. The only way you're going to do it is absolute abstinence because you mm. can't crave something that's not inside you, you know? And AA is the university of life. That's the only way I can describe it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's taught me, I, I had a degree, I've got letters, but, you know, life principles and everything from learning how to smile at another human being because you're worth it. Simple things like that, mm. you know, they've taught me everything. So it's love, it's tolerance. Yes, there is a 12-step program, um, you know, which you work through and it is built on Christian principles. Mm. So we looked, uh, you know, we look at there's no defense against the first drink that defense must come. They say in AA, because we want as many people as possible to come there, that defense must come from a higher power. So Mm. it's made up of every single faith that you can imagine, even remote faiths. It's made up of it. And, but actually it started as a Christian organization in 1939, you know, even earlier Mm. than that, 1934. Um, It's had a lot of success, you know, and, uh, Quite, quite frankly, the, the people who come in, we get a sponsor and the sponsor will tell you about their journey. A little bit like you and I did just now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they'll tell you about their journey, but they will also say to you, you either want this or you don't. So mm. there's accountability, there's credibility, mm. there's authenticity, there's love, there's discipline, there's guidance, there's mentoring. And it is basically the, the greatest gift we have in recovery is that, you, you know, when you know when you've made it in AA, Mm -hmm. when you've seen somebody else excel. Mm. That's when when you paid it forward. That's like, you know, ultimate. And it all works. We don't, it's completely free. We're not a registered charity. We're nothing like that. It's, Mm -hmm. there are over 850 meetings all over London, all and in the UK and worldwide. Mm. Um, And it's not a program of uh, promotion. It's a program of attraction, you know. And all I would say is that if anybody's struggling, until you go there, you're not going to know. Mm-hmm. Because the I think what I came across, and it was my own view also, was unless you're sitting in a gutter somewhere or you've got a paper bag in your hand or you're sitting in a park, you know, on a bench, then you're not an alcoholic. You know, mm. it's what we used to call functioning alcoholics. We're not. You know, it, you'll find alcoholics. We've got a priest who's who's in AA at the moment, one of the nicest, one of my good friends, one of the nice, nicest people I know. You know, we've got a pastor in there. We've got um, every walk of life of a person you can imagine is and in there. struggling. Yeah, which it's and interesting you'd say that because I was going to ask the question about the church and how the church supports. So you mentioning them, they're being priests and pastors. 
is a nice segue to the next question, which is how can the church support? Because you mentioned the 12 steps and I don't know if in any of the steps it involves anything to do with church, but how can the church actually support people who are struggling with this, given that I suspect the first thing that could happen when a person opens up to their leaders or their ministers or their pastors about this kind of addiction could be, you know, being labeled or, you know, being stigmatized or whatever. So what do you think? I mean, from your experience, as well, obviously you didn't start out as a Christian, but from your experience working with people in the AA, how have you seen the church playing a role and how could the church play a more important role in this? So Jesus, you know, he's, he's so, he's so, so beautiful. And, and, you know, as you've mentioned, you know, I work with a group of women and men, actually, they come to the group. It works because, you know, there's no judgment and and Jesus Mm. is love, Mm. is love, you know, and in AA, you know, we have Christians, we have lots of different faiths and the, you know, the principles are restoration, restitution, moral inventory, the belief in God and surrender, you know, mm. there, there, there's a whole load of principles, but it was built, built on the six tenets of the Oxford group. Okay. I guess what the early Oxford group were a church, you oh, know, wow. but what they did, they were sometimes referred to as Puritans, but they extracted the principles. And I think right. the way that the church can help is I've been to a few programs in churches and the issue we've got is you haven't got alcoholics, ex-alcoholics running the program. You've right. got somebody who's got biblical knowledge, mm. okay, but they cannot relate because their experiences or their rock bottoms, as it were, they they just do not match on that level. Mm. And then it's, what's the term they use, which I've never understood, teaching somebody how to suck eggs. Like, we all know how, that, you know, <laughs> we, 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 you know, for Christians, there's a lot of people who have come back to the faith, you know, um, when they've come into recovery. Um, I think the thing is, like, the, the few programs that I saw, yeah, I, you know, the people haven't returned and it is, mm. it is because it's not alcoholics. And AA works it's because it's one alcoholic talking to another alcoholic. Mm. They talk about the experiences and you feel normalized. Yeah. You know, you feel like it's okay, mm. you know, and so I think the stigma needs to go. The other thing is I think there's a cultural problem with it as well. You know, for some people, if you don't go to a wedding and get drunk, you're a weakling, you know, you're not mm. a man. You know, there's that kind of stigma. Um, And I think in church, this thing about sin, 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 you know, it's sin. Like you're already feeling crap. And then on top of that, like you're having this being ministered to you. And I'm a little bit of a believer in what Joyce Meyer said. You know, she said sin is wrong thinking, Mm. right? So that's the problem that Alkies have got. That, you know, it's it's wrong thinking, you know? Mm. And, And I think... Like the approach needs to be, yes, welcome them. But I had a a beautiful pastor who I was able to go to at my church and tell him what was going on with me. Mm -hmm. And he didn't, he didn't say, oh, like, you know, you need to be doing this. We need to pray for you. You've got spirit operating on you. You know, you've got this happening. And he just sat down and he put his arms around me and he said, Mm -hmm. you're going to learn how to pray. Mm -hmm. When you're feeling like this, you're going to learn how to pray. That's Mm -hmm. it. And he taught me how to pray, you know. Um, so I think there should be a designated member in church. You know, mm. it's not necessarily always pastors. Sometimes it might be an elder in the community, mm-hmm. you know, who might be able to direct people in that way. Mm-hmm. And I think really what every church should do. Do you want to know where all AA meetings are held? They're all held in church halls. I bet. <laughs> That's good yes, to know. they are rented out and they're yeah. rented out to church halls. And I think every church should have 
mm. uh, you know, a meeting there to let the, mm. you know, rest of the community know in the church, like, don't feel stigmatized about it. You can mm. go there. You can go there. And it's we can good. help you with this, you know? Um, I, and that, that's, that's the way it's worked for a very, very long and successful time. And, mm. uh, you know, I've seen it in the, in the church that I go to, you know, I've, I've spoken, I've got a member. She's, she's absolutely fabulous. She's one of the female pastors there. And, you know, she's so great. Uh, as soon as I have somebody to do a step three or, you know, on the, on the program, or I have somebody to do something um, that they need to do with the program, I can approach her and she's like my next pastor because my first pastor's left. Mm-hmm. And she just loves them and she tells them how valuable they are, you know, what an amazing step, how much courage it's taken for them. There, and, yeah. you know, she just builds them up rather than like, how are we going to deal with this problem? And mm-hmm. I've had that response before. They've mm-hmm. sort of said like, you know, uh, oh, well, you've got spirit operating on you. Not necessarily. Like mm. it is a mental and a physical illness. You know, mm. we need to come to terms with that. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the effects show and it is an illness. It's a, it's an illness of the mind, you know, mm. and, uh, I can't substantiate it, but I remember reading about six years ago, some guy in America, he was, uh, you know, uh, he wrote about the system and he said, alcoholics don't produce the enzyme that they need to break down alcohol. So they have no stop button. Right. And, you know, when we see somebody with cancer, we say, oh, gosh, we feel really sorry for them. If you put an alcoholic before somebody, they'd say, oh, my gosh, well, he should just stop, shouldn't he? Mm. Like, what's his problem? Why doesn't he keep stopping? Well, mm. I'm sorry, but it's an illness like anybody else, you know, and mm. I will 100% vouch for that. And the problem mm. is when family stigmatize, when church is stigmatized, when people walking on the street look down at you and just say, oh, he's an alcoholic, you know, it's a child of God. Mm. It's a child of God. Who's just, who's been left without treatment and there is treatment mm-hmm. and you can have absolute abstinence. And for your information, I couldn't stay without a drink for one moment. I am thir- coming up into my 13th year of sobriety. So That's it absolutely really does work. That is fantastic. You know? That is a wonderful testimony. Phenomenal. 13 years. That is just, oh, that is by his really grace. commendable. That by God's grace, absolutely. That's a beautiful testimony. And you do your Bible studies with other women or and men, as you said, who are recovering alcoholics. Do you want to tell us a bit about your Bible study as we begin to wrap up the conversation? So, yeah, I, I had uh, I had a few members in AA uh, coming up to me and sort of said, um, and like we talk about Jesus and we get a lot of backlash because the other people who are in there, they don't necessarily like it when we talk about Jesus. And it happened once and it happened second time, then somebody else. And I thought, God, this is one too many conversations. Like, why aren't they allowed to talk about you in the meetings? And I just said, you know what, Lord, I'm going to set up my own meeting. That's what mm. I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. So I set up um, Stratford Believers and the way that the Lord organized it, I went into St. Baptist, John's, St. John's Baptist Church. And I remember, I didn't know anything about it. It's one of the biggest churches. And I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, go in, there's a room for you in there. And so I went in and I spoke and I think in about 10 minutes of speaking to the priest there, he said, you can have the room for free. Oh, wow. You know, like God <laughs> just made a way. That so, uh, you know, you know, people started coming by the grace of God. We've had Zoom. We haven't stopped. We've been running for about a year and a half. Mm. And, um, you know, people come on there who love Jesus. They talk about, you know, their testimonies, what God has done for them, how they're recovering, Beautiful. you know, how they pray. We pray for one another on that. But it's not about. 
you know, we're uh, the only way to describe it is we're a church without walls, which mm. is basically when people come together, they are the bricks of the church. Absolutely. You know, for me, that's beautiful. And yeah. um, you know, when they share and and they open up, it's about helping them to understand this. Look, you have a spiritual malady. Okay, you have a spiritual problem. That's okay. Open your heart. Let God in. Okay, mm. and let him do the work because he who started to work and in you will surely complete it until the mm. day of completion, right? Mm. So what we actually do is we take the, the AA principles, but we find the parallel in the Bible and we give them the scriptures. Mm. And then they're able to meditate upon the word of God. And all I can say, this is not my work. This mm. is the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit's work. Yeah, They are mighty, mighty warriors. These people wow. who came from nothing and felt like they were nothing, Mm. are actually going out now. Uh, one of the ladies that came was from America. She's, she got so inspired from our group. She's actually set up a group in America now. Oh, so she's beautiful. teaching the word of God in America AA. Um, then we have had other people in from Ohio. And we had somebody in from Australia. Loads of people just coming in. Um, and we have a movement of people, which is fresh and nice, you know. Mm. Um, and, hey, if we can be an inspiration and we, we can take kingdom work forward and we can help other people understand, um, you know, it's important. Yes, they have a higher power, but I'm very strict. Even when I work with somebody who I'm about to sponsor, mm. I say to them, take it or leave it. But I work with the principles of Jesus Christ mm. and um, it's the, uh, they're the only principles that are going to work. Mm. Uh, if you want somebody to lie to you, there's plenty of other people in the group that you can go to. It's no mm. problem, you know, mm. but God <laughs> is, you know, that is not arrogance. That is yeah. confidence in yeah. God, you know, Absolutely. 100%. And these are people who, you know, now I think we have in the group at the moment, the last group of people that came were 12 on Zoom. And I think we had 82 years sobriety between us. Wow, that is phenomenal. Right? So it, it was it was brilliant. And they, uh, you know, they get to download and say what's happened in the day and really talk about deep spiritual problems and how mm. they're not under, but there's no shame about it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we've had people share about like, I did something, you know, not right this morning, you know, and, uh, yeah. you know, without delving into too much stuff, you know. People have shared about stuff that you could not even share with a therapist, but they feel com- comfortable yeah. as ex-alcoholics in a group, yes. you know, with one another, knowing there's no judgment. And yes. if anything, we say, you know what, guys, let's pray for Lucy. Let's yeah. pray for Linda. Let's pray for whatever. Yeah, and it's, yeah. it, there's no stigma, yeah, you know. Yeah, 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 and yeah. these are the people that are going out and helping other people who are on the floor. Yes. Like get up and say, Number one, you can stay abstinent. Number two, you've got an illness. Don't worry, we'll deal with it. And number three, God loves you so much. Like you're never going to be the same. Once you start this journey, you'll look back and think, how did I even do that? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so beautiful. renewed self-image, renewed thinking, new life. It's a design for living. It absolutely works. Um, and all I know is anybody can recover. If you just open your heart, mm. anyone can recover. You know, we don't think we need to be loved, but taste and see that the lord is good be <laughs> I love loved that. i love that. be loved just taste of him and yeah. and maybe you'll come back for more and that's my experience you know yeah. that's a beautiful experience and a beautiful testimony 
of recovery. And I love what you said. Anyone can recover. Just anyone reopen. So for those who are listening, if you may have a similar story, you're on the journey, or you know somebody who may have, you know, be struggling potentially with with you know alcoholism or any other kind of substance uh, abuse, you know that you can recover. There is recovery. There is hope. You know, just open, yeah. just be open to what God has available and to the resources. You know, things like the AA, you know, accountability, and just being willing to seek help I guess um your story is really really an inspiring story how you came to faith through the most unlikely way because just listening to your story tells me that it was more than the alcohol and it was more than anything else God was looking for you from day one and every step in your journey has brought you to him albeit it was a very um dramatic journey but at the end you found him because it wasn't as though you know from your um miraculous encounter with him it wasn't as though somebody preached to you on the street or you went to a church and heard a sermon he found you you know you didn't even know who he was which is just you know exceptional your story is just like the story of Paul in the Bible so yeah it's it's such a heartwarming thing to know this happens in our generation and I'm sure (laughs) we will always see God at work in in many miraculous ways but no thank you so much Ange for sharing you know for being so open for willing for being willing you know to open up about your struggles and your victories and how God has brought you through and is using you as well to help others um it's just been a fantastic conversation so thank you so much for sharing thank you sir no worries you've been listening to the church unboxed podcast with me sarah tabo if you'd like to share your thoughts on today's program please visit the church unboxed facebook group i'd love to hear from you and if you'd like to hear more about what i think about today's topic go and sign up for our email list at www.churchonbox.net and we'll be in touch